Welcome to a podcast from Food and Drink Federation Scotland. FDF Scotland is the membership body for Scotland's food and drink manufacturers. We represent and support our members on the issues that are important to them. Hi, it's Kat Hay here, Head of Policy at the FDF Scotland. And today I'm going to be chatting to Rachel Morrison from the Living Wage Foundation to find out about the opportunities for food and drink members to get involved in the Living Wage campaign. Rachel, do you want to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and your role within the organisation? That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Kat. Um, so um, my name is Rachel, um, Rachel Morrison, if you want to be formal. Um, so I'm an accreditation officer um, with Living Wage Scotland. Um, we are the organisation in Scotland who support um, employers who wish to learn more about the benefits, about paying the real living wage, and um, to help them on their journey to becoming an accredited living wage employer. Um, as the job title might suggest, um, my role involves working with employers of varying sizes, large, small, across sectors, across industries, um, just to help them understand what they can gain from accreditation. Fantastic. And can you explain to me, because when I contacted you through um, the Poverty Alliance, I managed to get hold of your details. Can you explain just how you kind of where you sit and, and how did the organisations link up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for some clarity, if it's OK, I'm going to explain a little bit about like how Poverty Alliance came to be part of the Living Wage campaign. Is that OK? So yeah, it'll be a bit of a history, brief history points. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Living Wage Scotland, as I said, supports um, employers in Scotland um, who are looking to work towards gaining accreditation. Um, but the campaign for a living wage um, has actually been going since way back in 2001. Um, it's actually the 20th anniversary of the campaign this year, which is a really exciting milestone for us all. Um, but in 2001, it started actually um, down in the east end of London. Um, and it's an organisation called Citizens UK who had brought together a range of grassroots organisations, groups like churches, schools, um, to talk about issues impacting their communities. Um, and low pay was an issue that came up again and again for them. Um, so some of the people in this area at the time were working two or three minimum wage jobs and they were still not making ends meet. So it was decided that a campaign would be launched um, to look for a living wage for people. Um, then in 2007, um, this is where Poverty Alliance first came in. Um, so the Scottish Living Wage campaign was launched um, by the Poverty Alliance and they worked alongside the campaign in London, but specifically looking to build support for a living wage up here, up north. Um, in 2011, there was enough support uh, for a living wage that the formal accreditation scheme was launched and Living Wage Foundation was born. Um, and since then, I had gone from strength to strength um, down south. But in 2014, it was recognised that um, in Scotland, there were still less than 20 employers who'd become accredited. Um, and it was recognised that probably that was because it was it was a London based organisation that we're working with employers in Scotland mm -hmm. um, as we are, you know, being a Scot, we, we don't, we sometimes respond better to fellow Scots, as we can say. Um, so, um, so it was decided that there needed to be an office up here um, and Poverty Alliance were the perfect partners for that. They'd already been involved in the campaign for um, seven years um, and there had been a lot of work and as well as that Poverty Alliance's work focuses around a range of issues tackling poverty in Scotland and in work poverty is a big one. So they're the perfect partner for us. So 
um, Living Wage Scotland was established, so we work within the Poverty Alliance. Um, we, we work with them. Um, my colleagues there are fantastic. Um, but we also work in partnership with Living Wage Foundation, so um, so that we offer the same UK-wide accreditation to Scottish headquartered employers um, that they offer to employers headquartered elsewhere. So, um, so yeah, for for any of your members, if they were interested, the accreditation covers UK-wide as well. So it just depends where your where your head office is as to who you talk to. And that's really helpful because. Um you probably know this, but the Food and Drink Federation, yes, we are FDF Scotland, but we are part of the wider FDF UK. So there may be members that are listening yep. that have both sites in, in England and in Scotland or indeed across um, you know, the wider UK. Um, I mean, where are we now in Scotland? Uh, you said that kind of when you started off, less than 20, 20 businesses were accredited. Um, where yep. are we now? How many businesses are, are accredited today? So in Scotland, almost 2,000. We are inching to fast towards that, that milestone, which will be a massive milestone for us. Um, and what's been fantastic to see is that Scottish employers have responded so well to, to Living Wage Scotland and to that awareness of what paying the living wage can bring. There's um, more than 7,000 accredited employers across the UK now, mm -hmm. but when you think proportionate wise, you know, Scotland's punching well above its weight. You know, that there's more nearly 2,000 out of that seven are are based up here. So it's it's been really fantastic to see the response up here. And that's from a range of businesses as well. You know, it's it's across your, your public, your private, your third sector, across industries. And it's just fantastic because I think you know, payment of the living wage and trying to look after your staff as well. It speaks very much to Scottish values. Um, and I think it just fits it fits really well with a lot of the agenda up here as well. Yeah, I suppose a basic question, maybe I should ask this at the start, which is how much is the living wage in Scotland and does it differ between so, Scotland and England? So, yeah, I probably should have started with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the real living wage is currently £9.50 an hour. Um, so that's for across the UK. And so there is a higher rate for within London, mm -hmm. um, just recognising that costs do tend to, to be higher within the London area. Um, just to highlight while we're talking on what the real living wage is as well. Um, the, so just there's a difference between the real living wage and the national living wage. So the national living wage is the government's minimum wage rate for people aged 23 and over. That only changed to 23 and over last month. Um, so the national living wage is calculated based on a median of earnings. Um, it's not actually calculated based on what a worker needs to earn to meet their living costs. The real living wage that we promote and which our accreditation is for is the only rate of pay which is calculated based on what a worker needs to earn to meet their living costs. It takes into account a basket of goods and lots of technical things that thankfully are not in my remit to understand. Um, it's calculated for us annually by the Resolution Foundation, um, overseen by the Living Wage Commission, and um, that's to ensure that it's proportionate for workers, it's representing what they need, and also it's affordable for businesses to do year on year as well, because that's the key thing, is that it has to be affordable for everybody. Yes, we want to meet the needs of workers, but we also need businesses to be able to continue to pay it year on year. Um, the new rates are announced every November and um, as part of Living Wage Week, which is a big week of celebration. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's a fantastic thing for employers to be able to commit to, to go further for their staff 
and to ensure that you know they're trying to be part of the solution to end work poverty um, and doing the best they can for the workers. Yeah, absolutely. So just to be clear, when you, when you hear the words national living wage, that's what those of us yeah. who are not so involved would think of as the minimum wage. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. Well, the, the national living wage is the technical term. It is, it's the minimum wage for that age bracket. So if you want to be able to proudly say that you are a living wage employer, we would always, always recommend and encourage you to pay the real living wage because that's you you're actually following. Paying the national living wage is meeting your statutory requirements, which absolutely we all must do. Um, but it's not going further and actually meeting the needs of your workers as much as possible. And is there still that age differentiator in the real living wage as well? So real living wage is um, for staff aged 18 plus. So we encourage it for anybody who has staff for 16, 17, but we don't mandate it. Um, and that's something that's partially to do with the way the rate's calculated. Yeah. Um, but yes, so whereas the, the national living wage is 23 and over, as I said, um, but we are 18 plus. So we are asking you to pay that for your staff from a younger age because we do feel that roles shouldn't be differentiated based on age and it should be based on skill and on the actual job role that's been done um, rather than on age. And if people are doing the same job, they should be paid the same wage. Yeah, and I think anecdotally from what I've heard from the food and drink manufacturing industry, I haven't come across anyone in our industry who does pay that differentiator based on age. So if you're 18 or you're 23, you're going to be paid. Um, you know, yeah. um, so it's interesting to see that the government are still making that differentiator. But then organisations like yourself are saying, actually, no, a person's doing that work. They should be reflected for that work and it shouldn't be to do with their age. Absolutely as well. And I think as well for us, it's that. You can't assume that because someone's only 18 that they don't have additional costs. You know, they could have caring responsibilities at home. They could even if they still live at home, they might have, be one of the few people in the home working. They could have kids, they could have flats. You can't assume that just based on age that people don't have the same costs. So um, so I think that's, you know, for us, that's why it's important that it is 18 plus that are paid it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, quickly to pick up, you mentioned um, Living Wage Week, just for the listeners. Can you mm -hmm. tell us when that is and um, what's yeah. going on in that week? So Living Wage Week is in November every year. Um, we used to be able to say it's the first week in November every year, but due to certain political things going on the past few years, it's, mm -hmm. it's had to be moved about. But it's early November every year. And on the Monday of the week, um, the new rates are announced. There's usually quite a lot of press coverage. Sometimes you see Director of Living Wage Foundation on BBC News, such things like that, um, tends to be picked up in the papers. And the rest of the week is a celebration of the movement. So it's events all online last year. This year it may be a combination of online and in person. We'll need to see where we're at situations wise um, to invite both accredited employers and also employers who are considering becoming accredited to learn a bit more about the living wage, to hear the benefits that businesses and workers see and just to be part of that celebration and that pride that this group of employers are going above and beyond for their staff and are really trying to, to do the best they can for them by committing to this. So it's, it's a fantastic week and um, it's something that, you know, there's events open to everybody so we'd encourage um, any any listeners um come november to get involved and uh, and see if there's something you'd like to come along to because we'd be delighted with that 
And do you look for um, businesses to get involved in that, perhaps to be case studies or advocates of the um, the campaign yeah. and things like that? So we absolutely do. So accredited employers. Um, so generally, at events we'll have speakers. So depending on whether an event is based regionally or sectorally, we'll look to engage speakers from those. And there's also opportunities for employers to provide. Um, quotes for press coverage. We have video clips of employers and workers talking, and then they're shared on social media and other channels throughout the week as well. So it's a great opportunity for the employers who are accredited to really promote what they're doing um, and promote themselves as well. Because you know it's both sides of that. You know, promote your accreditation, but also promote your business. You know, that's that's part of what accreditation is about. It's 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 a key for you to use as a business to promote yourselves, promote what you do, and you know get hopefully get some benefit from that in that sense and see some positive business returns. Absolutely. So let's see, dive into that a little bit more just um, on the benefits of getting accredited, because, you know, some businesses might say, well, I pay that I pay that wage anyway, I pay the real living wage. Um, mm-hmm. Why do I need a badge on the door? Um, why do I need another certificate? I've got investors and people or, um, you know, said accredited. You must get these questions all the time. So it'd be great to tell the listeners why should they get involved on the accreditation side of things? Yeah, so yeah, we understand that it can be a bit of badge fatigue, I think was the phrase you used when we spoke before, Kat, that, um, that, you know, there's so many accreditations out there. But what we like, what I want to stress about living wage accreditation is that it's not just going to reflect on the, the rate of pay that, that you pay. So what, um, what a lot of our employers tell us is that it's helped. So in terms of if you're already paying living wage, and you want to become accredited. So they've told us that it helps to differentiate them from their competitors. Um, interestingly, we don't have a huge number within the food and, food and drink sector who are accredited. Um, having the accreditation then helps them show their values as a business. And because although this is a badge that's saying we're a living wage employer, it links into a lot of other values of who you are as a business and your commitment to being an ethical employer, looking after your staff, but also the payment of the living wage doesn't just bring benefits into your business, your workers, it's wider society as well. So if you're a significant employer in a local area, uplifting your staff, that money generally goes spent back into the local area. So you're showing your commitment not just to your workers, but to the local area that you're based within as well. Um, some of the other benefits that we hear often are money savings from improved retention um, and therefore reduced recruitment and training costs. Um, and um, also um, employers tell us that when they're accredited, particularly if they use the logo as part of their recruitment. So we see quite a lot of employers putting it on job applications or on those sections of websites that um, they get increased numbers of applications, but also a higher quality of candidate applying for the jobs. Because even if that role is above the living wage, it still reflects, again, it's the values of your business that you believe in taking care of your staff and even people at higher level roles, they appreciate that. And it can be a really positive signal to the type of business that you are and the type of business they're going to work for. Um, in terms of benefits, if you don't mind me going on, Kat, to talk about like benefits for employers who have had workers to uplift, because yeah. um, we do know there are there's some within that. So, um, so as I said, the improved retention, reduced recruitment and the training costs would also be relevant to those who aren't already paying the living wage. Um, but we had an example specifically within the food and drink sector. Um, so we had an employer who told us um, that their decision to pay the real living wage and gain the accreditation, it helped them to move away from the use of agency staff, which I know is quite 
dominant in the sector due to the fluctuating needs of the businesses. Um, and it's something they had been very reliant on. And they've now been accredited for a number of years. But their decision to do that and as part of living wage, reducing their their use of agency staff, it saved their business hundreds of thousands of pounds over the period. So it's really saved them a high proportion. And they said it has been a fantastic decision and committing to paying living wage was a big part of them being able to reduce their reliance on agency staff to fill gaps because not necessarily that it's linked to agency staff but some of the the other things that we hear is that staff are they're more likely to stay with the organization they're willing to go the extra mile when asked it's that i'm trying to think of the right word it's that you know it's almost like a kind of idea, isn't it? It's like the yes. employee and the employer are both then bought into the needs of the business and the needs of the employer and the employee. It's a win-win for everyone, isn't it? Absolutely. 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 That's it. You said that so much better, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it is. It's about it's improved relationships as well. You know, if you've got if your staff feel more valued, they've got better relationships likely with their line manager. And then if you have a last minute urgency anything like that you know hopefully we all know that the better relationship you have the more chance you've got of people being helpful where they can and going that extra mile for you so it really it really can make tangible differences to your businesses whether you pay the living wage yet already or if you are just looking to gain accreditation it can really bring benefits on both sides um we also i've also got i can also talk about a little bit about benefits for the workers if if you think the listeners would be interested in that. Because so, one of the most yeah. interesting things from from my conversations with Food and Drink Federation members around um, COVID-19 and how things have been during the pandemic, a time and again is what they said to me was that their workforce has been the most important thing to them. And I've talked to MDs and operations directors who have had sleepless nights worrying about how to keep their staff safe. Oh, the flip mm. side of that is we've also heard a lot about um, employees stepping up. So that point about being bought in from both the employee and employer position during COVID, taking on additional responsibilities, um, sharing ideas, coming together as a team to problem solve. We've really, really seen that. So it's something that we can definitely build upon as we come out of the pandemic. So, yeah, let's talk mm -hmm. a bit more about the benefits for the employees, the workers. Yeah, excellent. And, you know, that's really fantastic to hear that, you know, that the, the businesses that you're speaking with, they want to know that they're they're doing the best they can by their staff. And I think that, you know, it's really reassuring, even from a consumer perspective, like of thinking, you know, of businesses that I could be buying from are are trying to prioritise their staff in this as well. So yeah. that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, from what we've heard from workers and we hear this again and again, across sector, across industry, across size. So one of the real differences it makes to, to workers' lives is it reduces their stress and worry about money. We all know what that's like, mm -hmm. um, but particularly when workers are paid less than the real living wage. Um, you see that higher rates of in-work poverty so that while they are working, they're not earning enough to meet their costs of living. So it reduces that stress and worry. And when we're saying pay them a higher rate of pay. You know, we're not talking buying luxuries. We're not we're not saying anything like that. We're saying it might allow them to save for the future. They've told us that, you know, it can put a little bit of cash by. They can afford small treats for their family, like a, a short holiday, like a weekend break to a caravan, or they can take their kids to the cinema every so often, those little things. But it also helps them be more resilient in practical things, you know, like 
oh, somebody needs a surprise trip to the dentist because they need a filling or, you know, your kids need new school shoes or they need more school uniform. You know, all these things that that crop up. We all know what it's like. But when you are so close to the line and what you need money wise, those things can can quite easily tip you into debt and into worry and stress. And I think, you know, for employers to know that you are providing your staff with a rate of pay that can help alleviate those stress and worries. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it has a positive impact on the workers' mental health and then a positive impact on how they can be in work as well. So those benefits to the workers can link back to to how they are in the in your workspace as well. So it is it's a really quid pro quo, it's it's a really it's a cycle of positive benefits that come from it. Um, I've actually got a quote from a worker that I could read out. Is that weird if I read that out on a podcast no, or is that? Should okay. That's really, really interesting. I think yeah. the more we can read this for the listeners, the better, <laughs> you know? Yeah, cool. cool. I, I looked this out because um, so we we had um, we normally run uh, awards every year for our living wage employers. Actually, I should have mentioned that that happens in living wage week as well. And we didn't run them last year with everything going on with COVID. We were just kind of like it's it's not it doesn't feel right it's been too much of a year and um, this quote one of the awards is employee choice and we ask workers to um to commit to to get in touch and tell us why they're proud to work for a living wage employer and it's a, the like it's the most interesting category if i'm honest no offense to the rest but just hearing it from the worker perspective yeah. so um this quote came from one of the application forms and um, that was put in on behalf of the worker so she had said that um, I'm a full time wheelchair user and was recently able to purchase my first home as a direct result of earning a real living wage. I previously never thought this would be possible when working in minimum wage jobs. For the first time in my adult life, I'm no longer relying on disability benefits to supplement my wage. And for us, that's you can't ask a better benefit than that. You know, this is somebody who has gone from feeling they are reliant on that that government support you know and everything like that to feeling they have that bit of independence but it also made her feel so loyal and so proud to work for her employer as well and it was just that quote's always stuck with me because I'm like that is just that that's you know the key message that we want to get across from a worker perspective of being paid this little bit more you know we're not talking it's not a huge difference in an actual hourly rate wise although it can represent a, a, you know, a difference to the employer's wage bill, we completely understand that, but it can make a huge difference to that person's life. You know, it can just give them that little bit of independence and that ability to make plans and things, which those of us who haven't been in that position before take for granted. I think it's easy to take for granted if you've never been in those positions of struggling within work poverty. And, you know, it's that it's just, it, you know, it really like the quotes like that. Just they're what I do my job for. <laughs> you know, it's it's that tangible benefit and and hearing that from someone was fantastic. I mean, that's powerful stuff. There's no doubt about it. That's very very powerful. In terms of the in work poverty, is it quite common that people are actually working and they're they're um, experiencing in work poverty? Because it seems yes to those of us who are not maybe as focused on this as we, you know, like myself, we're looking at policy. Perhaps this is one that we're not quite so focused on. Um, yeah. Interesting to hear a bit of insights about that. Absolutely. Could you tell us a bit more about that in work poverty? Because I think it's something that 
a lot of listeners won't know a lot about. So um, it'd be interesting to hear a bit more about, you know, how common is it in Scotland? What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely set the scene for that. So um, there's currently more than one million people living in poverty in Scotland. And as a small nation, you know, we're talking five and a half million people. Um, a million of those are living in poverty. Um, and another stat that's quite shocking that comes out of that is that 24% of children who live in Scotland do so in poverty. Um, and 65% of those children are living in a home where someone is in paid employment. Um, you know, back in the 1990s, um, between 96 and 99, um, that figure was 47%. So there's been a, a really big increase, almost a 20% increase in the number of children who live in a home where there's in work poverty because they have a parent who is working and that home is still experiencing poverty. So, um, so you know, it's it's not a positive situation to be completely honest. But there, you know, there's a lot that can be done about it. It's not it's not all doom and gloom. It you know, and it is those figures do sound alarming, but and and overwhelming to an extent. But um, there's things we can do and businesses taking the step to commit to paying the living wage and to help and tackle the number of people who are in in-work poverty. Um, they're all playing that role in creating a more caring and compassionate society um, that we all want to live in in Scotland. So that's, I mean, that's probably a really good point. We've, we've heard that quote from the, the employee saying about how much it benefited them. You've talked about um, the costs that manufacturing example you gave saving hundreds of thousands of pounds um, and we talked a bit about the in-work poverty so if a listener sitting within a business today listening to this thinking right I really want to start my journey what's can you give us a kind of step one where on earth do they start okay first step is get in touch like get in touch with us so um I am happy, Kat, for you to put contact details for me wherever this goes as well. But you can get in touch through our website, um, which is scottishlivingwage.org.uk. I'm doubting myself there. <laughs> um, but you can get in touch through our website. And um, what will happen is we'll ask you to submit some, um, some basic details, some basic contact details. We'll send you out some information. Um, so we'll send you out a guide which talks you through basically accreditation in general. So talks you through what the living wage is, differences, quite a lot of stuff I've covered, but maybe in more detail, maybe a bit more um, professionally said, but I guess this is more of a chat. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it gives you all that information. Um, and it also talks about the key criteria for accreditation. Do you want me to just highlight what those are? Would that be helpful? Yeah. So, um, so there's two key criteria for accreditation. So the first is that all your directly employed staff Age, age 18 and over must be paid at least the real living wage of £9.50 an hour. Um, if you happen to have staff working within London, um, that has to be uh, the London rate that they are paid. Um, then um, the second criteria is around regularly contracted staff, which is where the kind of agency staff conversation may come in, um, is that any staff who work for you regularly on a contracted basis. Um, so we define regularly as two hours or more a week for eight weeks consecutively. Um, also have to be paid the living wage and part of the reason for that links back to that original launch of the living wage campaign is those workers who were working two and three minimum wage jobs they were contracted into companies and they were contracted in quite few of them to large financial organizations mm -hmm. who although they were paying all their staff 
the the direct the, at least the living wage at a high enough rate. They weren't thinking about their cleaners, their security guards, you know. So it's those other staff as well as your agency staff that may work on production type lines. But if you have contracted cleaners, contracted security or anything else that's more relevant to your industry, I'm not claiming to be any kind of expert in your industry or anything else that just comes up. So you have to meet those two key criteria. But if you have concerns about those criteria, if you need to talk through them, that's what we're here for. And that email that comes with that information, there's an offer of a conversation. In past days, it would have been a face to face meeting. Now, you know, wonders of Zoom, MS Teams, whatever you like. Um, we're really happy to set up calls, chat through your issues, your concerns. You know, we're not the living wage place. That's not what we are. We are here to support employers to pay the living wage and to be able to do this. And if you aren't there yet, to help you get on a journey to do that. So if you are interested, you know, just get in touch. Don't sit and wonder and worry and, you know, we can demystify things and, you know, just explain things better, you know, than it might be in the booklet or that you can find online. Um, but we are a really friendly bunch and, uh, you know, we like to chat to everybody. And, uh, yeah, just and we're here to help. That's kind of the, the key message is we are here to help you if you want to do this. And in terms of cost is there a cost about becoming accredited is there a cost for working with you um yeah so there's no cost for working with us um but there is a cost to become accredited so um accreditation costs vary depending on the size of your business um so i'm assuming that most food and drink federation members would be private sector based cat is that right that's right yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so yeah, so the costs are at um, £60 if you have 10 or less staff. They go up to 3000 if you have, that's if you have 501 or more staff. Mm-hmm. So that's for a much larger employer. So in the fee is an annual fee. Um, that fee allows you use of um, the the logo. It allows you um, access, you know, you're listed on our website, on the Living Wage Foundation website, the ability to do, you know, case studies, profiles, to be featured in quotes, to to work with us on any way to promote you and your business that we can. I've got fantastic comms colleagues who are amazing at all this stuff um, and, you know, there for support. But then what you also get is that continued support from us year on year. If you have any concerns about your living wage commitment and, you know, if you need support, after accreditation it's not like you're accredited and then you're left to be we're here to continue that support going onwards as well um and the fee also that the the fee because i know some people do hear the fee and they kind of go oh i'm not sure but um it also you know that also allows money to go back into the work of living wage foundation to further campaign for living wage and also some of it goes to poverty alliance to tackle wider and work poverty and other poverty issues in scotland so it's it's allowing you to have the accreditation helping further the work and you know we're all playing our part in in tackling poverty issues across the UK. That's fascinating I mean I think the wider policy landscape in Scotland this is not going to go away I know as we're recording this it's actually election day as we're recording so (laughs) by the time this goes out we will have a new Scottish Parliament and there will be a new I mean 25% of the MSPs will be new um but yep to say as a policy person who's spent the last few weeks in a very geeky fashion digging through the manifestos and um, there are some things that come up whether it's conservative or green or labor or SNP or Lib Dem all the main parties are talking about some um 
key things that are going to definitely um, be priorities for the parliament, no matter which party you're for. So that's fair work. Um, and yeah. obviously, um, for those of you who don't know, paying the real living wage is one of the fair work principles. Um, yeah. Not going away. Whilst employment law is a reserve matter to Westminster, um, the Scottish Parliament is certainly going to be focusing in on fair work and fair work principles. And I mm -hmm. um, predict, certainly from noises we've been hearing, that in the future, some government support and grants and public sector support for businesses, um, it might be conditional based on fair work principles. So businesses need to start thinking about how they how they get in line with those. It is there over the horizon. So there's other things as well. I think this ties into really well about a just transition for people, people moving into perhaps different industries. Um, and, and back to that place about um, life beyond COVID, where businesses are looking at um, how they work with their staff during pandemic and lessons learned. And the point I made about people stepping up within the business, I'm sure businesses will want to continue to retain that good um, relationship and, and retain good people because there is a skill shortage. The food and drink manufacturing industry is competing with a number of different industries in terms of getting mm -hmm. good staff. Um, and that labour pool that we've got to pull from is getting ever smaller now we're out of the EU. Um, so that's yeah. really important going forward. So lots going on there. <laughs> Watch this space in terms of policy, I suppose. Um, Definitely. I suppose we're coming to the end of the, our time. It's been really, really interesting. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners today that maybe I haven't picked up on or things that our conversation has sparked off some further thoughts? I think um, just to highlight kind of, of, of what you were saying, Kat, about, you know, what the industry wants to do going forward coming out of COVID is that, you know, we really believe that the living wage can play a key part in the recovery from the pandemic and it really can be a part of building back better of you know us looking at our economy and our society how do we make it more fair how do we make it more just and more compassionate and I think that what we've all seen in the last year and workers within this sector in this industry will be a key you know you'll have been key workers you know this is it's a crucial industry that has had to keep us going and I think you know it's fantastic if we can think about how these workers can be rewarded for that and ensuring that on the other side what support there is for them to to be able to look after themselves and their families as well as possible and um you know living wage can be a big part of that as you said fair work doesn't seem to be going away um we're really fortunate we have cross-party political support in scotland um all the parties support the real living wage up here and um you know it's no matter what the outcome is today you know I, I you know i strongly believe that we'll still have a lot of support and you know as you mentioned about um about it being a, a a part of government grants and things like that i don't know if it's so relevant for yourselves but um often we see that public sector if you're tendering for any kind of contracts related to public sector living wages are a big part of that now as well so if any of your members are linked into working within public sector you're nodding so yep taking that as a yes you know it's um it's a great thing to consider as well because it's another it's another tick on your applications as well for tender that you know that you are you are accredited with us as well there's the scottish business pledge as well that you can sign up to and um, being accredited as part of that as well so it can be a step in the door for lots of other things as well um, in terms of access and support from Scottish Government and being part of other things that are going on. Listen that's been so so interesting thank you so much for your time 
Um, can you just give us your contact details again? So the website and um, if you're happy to share your own email address, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. It's It's been fantastic. And just to say to your listeners that, you know, we are happy to have conversations with anybody and everybody. So please get in touch if you're interested. Um, so the website is scottishlivingwage.org. And my personal email is rachel.morrison at povertyalliance.org. And um, yeah, I'd be really happy to have conversations with anyone and everybody and um, and chat all things living wage, fair work related. It, to be completely upfront, all conversations are beneficial to us as well because it builds our knowledge and understanding of your industry as well. So it's not just a one way street. We would really appreciate any learning that we can have from you guys as well. Definitely. And I'm sure the FDF and this won't be the last conversation you and I have. Um, as we look around um, fair work and um, the other changes that are coming down the line with the new Scottish Parliament. Um, and that just leaves me to say thank you to our listeners for listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. Um, I'm Kat Hay, Head of Policy. You can contact me at cat, that's C-A-T, dot hay at fdfscotland.org or our website fdfscotland.org.uk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. You can find out more about our work and if you're a food and drink business, how to join us at www.fdfscotland.org.uk.